0: Welcome to the Clueless at the Work podcast, where we talk through a framework for being successful in your job. My name is Anthony Garone, and I'll be hosting this show with some friends who are experts in helping people grow. The content is based on my book, Clueless at the Work: Advice from a Corporate Tyrant, which is published by Stairway Press. You can find out more at cluelessatthework.com. Welcome back to the Clueless at the Work podcast. I'm very happy to have a special guest in the studio today, Sharon Bondurant, CEO and founder of The Finders. Sharon, thank you very much for joining today.
1: Thanks, Anthony. Yes, I'm excited to talk with you.
0: Excellent, I really appreciate you driving all the way out here and thank you for a wonderful lunch.
1: (laughs) You are welcome.
0: Cool, so um, for our new listeners, can you tell us a little about yourself and what you do for work?
1: Of course. So I uh, founded The Finders. It's actually been 22 years ago. And we are a recruiting firm. We started in the technology space. And I always preface by saying, you know, when I first launched the company, I didn't own a computer. I didn't own, you know, cell phones were not, um, uh, really, we didn't even have cell phones. I think we had just, I think I had my first cell phone maybe four or five months after I founded my company. Mm. So no computers, um, no cell phones, and I really started just right from my spare bedroom on the floor with a phone book and a fax machine and a, a corded phone
0: Wow! doing
1: recruiting. So <laughs> things have changed dramatically yeah. over the past 22 years. So it's been a really fun ride. and It's been just so amazing. We've stayed local here in Arizona.
0: Well, tell, I don't think you mentioned what yeah. exactly you're doing.
1: Yeah, so we specialize in technology. That's where it all began. Um, and now we've also branched out into HR. So we place technology and HR professionals locally here in Arizona to startup companies all the way to you know fortune 100 companies
0: so um we had alan plunkett on a few episodes ago who is also a recruiter started around the same time but later i think he's hitting 17 years but uh in 22 years how many thousands or tens of thousands of uh, resumes have you Reviewed. Resumes. Yeah. Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> gosh, I don't think I've ever been asked that question. We've placed over 3,000 people here over the years. So as far as resumes, oh, gosh. I mean, multiple, probably close to 500,000 or more.
0: That's amazing. Easily. Yeah, yeah.
1: Between my myself and my team. So a lot of people.
0: That's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, we cover a lot of different topics in the book, Clueless at the Work. Um, that are relevant to your industry and the book is really targeting, um, younger professionals or Mm -hmm. even more seasoned professionals who just don't have any sort of framework for success. And, uh, true to what the book says, you found me on LinkedIn. I did. (laughs) I
1: know. I remember reading part of your book when you talked about LinkedIn and the connections that you can make and.
0: Yeah, Yeah. And here we are. Yeah. And uh, you found an excerpt from my book about making mistakes and being okay with failure. So um, why don't you talk a little about what resonated with you with respect to that excerpt?
1: As far as failure, I mean, I think that's um, how we all learn and grow. I think the biggest thing is we have to always remember that. So I know for me personally, um, I have to push myself out of my comfort zone because otherwise you stay safe and you don't want to make mistakes or make failures um, and you want to keep doing what you've always done before. And I think at some time if you stay in that space, even if you want to play it safe, you actually do yourself a disservice because things change and if you if you stay in that same place, you're gonna actually fail anyway right because things are going to change. So you have to you know keep, Failing forward, you know, and learning and being able to apply and say, all right, the next time, you know, I'm going to do this differently or I'm going to approach this situation differently and and really keep yourself, you know, fresh and, and, you know, out of your comfort zone.
0: And you had said in your initial message to me that um, you were glad to see someone embracing mistakes and failures. So can you share a little about Uh, Why you felt that was a special or different message and uh, what it means to you to embrace mistakes and failure
1: Yeah, so I think it's an overall mindset where you have to practice Failing because Mm. failing let's face it. It's not fun to fail, Right. right? Especially I think for Some people who are more competitive like i'm very competitive in nature, but I'm more competitive with myself than with other people. So I always like to help other people and make themselves better, but for me personally, you know, I always want to do a little bit better than I did the last time. And so I think by practicing failure, you have to practice feeling that, you know, that bad feeling when you when you do something and it's not, you know, up to your expectations. Um, I think that that's really what fuels you, and you also then know when improvements are being made, and mm-hmm. when you start to feel more confident, and you know can see yourself accomplish something and see progress. I think that's, I know for me speaking and you know about that specifically, I think seeing progress, even if it's not quote perfect, as long as you can see that what you're doing is making a difference and you're getting better at it, then you can see failure in a positive light.
0: Mm-hmm. So another area that's important in your life is competitive bodybuilding. And I would imagine between when you started and when you were competing, you saw a lot of changes (laughs) physically, but I'm sure you went through mental transformation. You learned, you know, ways that you were doing things wrong. Can you talk a little about uh, your journey through bodybuilding as well and how mistakes and failure have played into that?
1: Yeah. So for me, when I first started competing, it was nine years ago. So this has already been, you know, a really long time um that I've been in that in that space. But when I first started out, I was mentioning to you, you know over our lunch i used to start and stop things very quickly i would get discouraged and, and i would quit and so i always think of myself as this um you know someone that's overcome that quitting mentality and it's all because of fitness so when i first started out competing i had my trainer approached me and he said you know have you ever thought about competing because i would i would go in consistently and i would work out i would do a lot of cardio um, and I would just, if they told me to do something as far as weightlifting, I would do it. But I really needed someone just to tell me what to do. If, as long as I showed up, mm-hmm. you know, it was gonna be okay. So, um, you know, when he asked me that, I, you know, I had said, well, I have thought about it, but I never wanted to do it because I never thought I could be one of those people that could, you know, be consistent and work out that hard and have the body, you know, and the, the physique of that. But he caught me at a moment in time where I had just turned 40. And I was really kind of complacent where I was, like everything was good, but it wasn't great and it wasn't super exciting. So really the day before he had asked me about that, I was looking for something that was going to get me out of my comfort zone and kind of get me excited about something. Mm -hmm. I really didn't have any hobbies. I never really worked out. That, that hard. And so when he said that to me, something just clicked in me and I thought, okay, this was the thing that I was looking for and and this is it. So I just picked it. I decided that I was going to do this. And I, I really, that was the first time it was just kind of like he came up, he asked me and it, something clicked. So when I first started competing in my mind, because I'd always been that quitter, like that's how I kind of, I thought of myself that way, even mm-hmm. though you know, my work life. People wouldn't think of me like that, but that's kind of that mental thing that I kind of had in my head. So really my my whole goal was I was gonna follow the process. I was gonna do what they told me to do because they had my my diet and my workouts and I just wasn't gonna quit. That was the only I wasn't thinking, oh, I wanna win this show and you know, it was just I don't wanna quit and mm-hmm. I don't wanna be the last one. I don't wanna, you know, I just don't wanna be last. And so I went through, it was about four months of, you know, really, really intense training. And during that time, what was really surprising to me was the mental mindset that transformed not only the physical part, but just the mental. Mm -hmm. Because I always had this little voice in my head that was like, you're not good enough. You can't do this. It's easier just to quit. What are you doing? People are going to laugh at you. I mean, the whole thing. And so during that whole four months, it was just every time I would think that, which is very, I mean, it's many times during the day, like I really, um, I would have to stop and I would say, no, like I'd have to replace that thought with something positive, like I'm going to do this. I'm going to get up there. And so over a four month period of time, um, you know, the, my mental mindset completely changed. And even the day before the show, I just all of a sudden had this breakdown where I just got very fearful. And I started that little voice inside my head crept up and I thought, I cannot do this. I'm not going to go out there. Mm. There's no way. Like the I really inner had Hitler. To, what? <laughs> the inner Hitler. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I called, um, yeah, I called my husband at the time and I said, I, I, I'm not doing it. I'm not going. I'm gonna call my trainer. I'm not going. I. I mean, it was really bad. I was crying. Just like it, was it fear breakdown. or
0: was it like uh, just being down on yourself? Total like,
1: fear. Total fear. Total fear. Mm. And mine, your mind will do tricks, you know, with you. So I just started really just having doubts. Like this is people are gonna laugh. I'm gonna, you know, the worst case scenario, right? And so after about a half hour he walked me off the ledge and I had let so much emotion out that day that it was really a blessing because there was nothing left. I had no fear left after mm-hmm. that. I had there was just nothing else I could bring out. So I said, "You know what? I'm just going to go out there and I'm just going to show up because that's that was my goal. I wasn't going to quit. I was going to show up. And if I do that, then that's good enough, right? And so the very next day, when the show happened, I I was so calm. I just went out there and I really enjoyed it. Like I I paid mm. attention to every single moment and just really took everything in. And I just felt really super proud of myself in that moment. But was what was really really um, game changing for me was even though I thought, okay, this is going to be the most horrendous thing if I'm gonna show up and go out anyway, well, I ended up winning the show <laughs> and that was like the the cherry on top, right? because it right. really wasn't about that, but it also showed me I almost didn't go. I almost right. did not show up, yeah, and so at the time, you know that was a huge accomplishment for me because I had never won anything in my life. I wasn't an athlete, um never did sports in high school, didn't start working out till I was forty. And so the, um, the segment that I won was not only my age, but the whole, sh- like the whole show for my height. That's incredible. So I was competing with 20-year-olds, you know, which was pretty wow. good back then. Yeah. You know? um, so anyway, afterwards, it really showed me that, one, you just have to show up you know, mm-hmm. and, and be present and not quit. And so you know, I tried to apply that feeling and that attitude really into everything, including my work. Um, because I think I mentioned to you during that time, because I was training so much, I really had to make adjustments in my business life. Mm. One of them being, I wasn't going to be in the office as much. So I had to delegate more. I had to give, um, my team more ownership. I promoted my, I think her, I think she was trying to remember her title. My right hand, um, woman. You know, she's now my COO, Christy. But at the time I I promoted her and I gave her the keys to my office. And I was like, I really like, here you go. Like you're, you're leading our team. I know you have it in you and you're, she's amazing what she does. But I really had never given up that control before. So that to me was a a really big thing back then. And, um, my business ended up growing like 500% during that, that year. So again, it showed me, I just learned a lot of life lessons, mm-hmm. you know, that you have to kind of get out of your own way and get out of your own head. And big things can happen in a very small amount of time.
0: It's amazing. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, it's amazing. I, I'm i very encouraged to hear you use so much of the same language from the book not intentionally, you not know? intentionally like, at all <laughs> show up like, Yeah. Be on time. Mm-hmm. Don't quit. Mm-hmm. Um, just learn what you don't know, deal with the mistakes and things will work out, you know, and delegate, find indispensable people, find, become someone who is able to delegate to an indispensable team. It's funny how we think we are the most indispensable people in our lives, our own lives. But then when you find a good person or a good team, it's like your business can grow 500% if you just hand it over to the right people, you know? And right. it, it's it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. And they become indispensable and then they raise up people that also become indispensable. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, there's just so much power in it. So I'm really glad to hear you share these stories yeah. that have so much overlap.
1: Absolutely, and I remember reading about the show Up On Time Because that specifically, we coach our candidates when they go out to an interview. And that's really one of the, we still use it today because I think it is so important, right? That people show up on time for an interview and really for everything.
0: For everything. But
1: especially, you know, I know when I'm interviewing internal candidates and I know my clients do this, a lot of them do this too. I mean, you're really, you're looking at your watch. If someone's even a minute late Uh for an interview, Uh that can cost them the job right and sometimes people don't realize that they should you know that one minute can make a big difference in the whole mindset of that interview and that that interviewer so when i read that i thought that's so so important and a lot of times people just don't don't realize it
0: Mm -hmm. speaking of not realizing it yeah um you said a couple of great things to me earlier one of which was uh clueless every day I love that phrase. So this podcast has a goal of sharing stories of people going from clueless, cluelessness to known cluelessness. And the idea of clueless every day is like, I know my limitations and I'm aware of them every single day of my life. So can you share something uh, in your life, in your work or whatever, where you've realized you went from Clueless, cluelessness to known cluelessness.
1: Yes, there's many things that come to mind. And yeah, we were talking, I, I feel like I am clueless every single day. <laughs> but, but I think you almost have to be like what we were saying about you have to be comfortable with failure and getting out of your comfort zone. So I think if you are put in situations where you are out of your comfort zone, you are going to be clueless in the beginning. So it's a matter of how you use that information and and turn it into something else where you're actually learning. Mm -hmm. So for me, you know, one of the things there's actually a couple things like big rocks that come to mind when I, I think about cluelessness and a lot of it stems from in my business, I was, they call it the technician, meaning I was the doer. Yeah, I was the recruiter. And I loved what I did. And it made me want to go out um, and create a company.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and I won't go into a lot of detail, but really the, the main reason was because I was working for another firm and became pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I thought at the time I loved what I did. And I wanted to go right back, you know, and, and after I had the baby, my son, go right back into recruiting and go back to my job. And so sometimes you don't know until you, talk about like cluelessness when when I had my first son the moment I I looked at him I thought there is no way I am going back to the office and leaving him (laughs) right so that's how my company started it Um. really started the day that my son was born May 1st 1998 um because I thought okay how can I do this you know how can I um still do what I love but also be a mom Mm. and so that's you know how I started my company every time he would go down for a nap You know, I'd go, okay, I I think I can do this a little bit differently from home because back then we didn't have telecommuting and remote work and and such. So I was the recruiter. Back to your question. I was the recruiter. I was the doer. And there's this great book by Michael E. Gerber called The E-Myth. And it really talks about how most people start out as the doer and then they get this, um, you know, they, he calls it an entrepreneurial seizure, hmm. where all of a sudden you want to create your own company because you're good at what you do, and so you start your own company, but you don't realize that it's very different skill sets, yeah. right, to be the the technician, the doer, versus being the manager or you know the leader mm-hmm. of a, a a corporation or a company, right. and there's right. a big um disconnective skills that you have to learn going from the technician to the the leader right
0: it's so funny people are like you're so good at programming you should manage the group of programmers like like it's a promotion but it is it's a totally different job it's like you're so good at sweeping the floor you should play the bassoon in the orchestra like what <laughs> like, right technically right. they you know it's the same group of people but management yeah. once you start managing i mean you realize this has nothing to do with what I was doing. Like, yeah, I get to do some of that, but not with these people and not for these people. It's more like i I become the the administrative you know, lead for them. It's a support role, and it's totally different from being good at what you were doing,
1: right. And then you're having to train and coach That's and right. hire and fire and do all the operational tasks that have yep. really nothing to do with the, the skill, technician, yeah. right and so you know that in itself has been always a huge learning curve of mm-hmm. going from that technician to to leader um, but within that you know there's also that whole philosophy of it's better to work on your business than in it so a lot of the business books that I've read over the years and all the speakers and you know mentors and coaches people always say you know to get to Um, to full success, you have to work on your business, not in it.
0: So can you help us like understand the difference between on and in? Like, how are you working on your business and then how versus in it? Yeah.
1: So working in it would be being like doing the job, doing it and doing it and doing it. Kind of what, that's what Michael Gerber always relates to. So the technician working on it would be how to grow it. So see developing systems and processes and documentation so that you can replicate that and in essence have other people that are doing that job and you're starting to not only lead and manage them but also work on your business as far as growing yeah. clients and you know having a, a larger footprint in your industry
0: so a lot of this comes from michael gerber's emyth book yes okay
1: yeah so as far as, you know, the question that you were asking me, I, over the years, have always thought, okay, I really need to get to that, that place, right, where you're working on your business mm. and not in it. But I think that there can be a point, you know, back to your question about being clueless, what I found really over the last three to five years is that for me, I can only speak for myself and my experience, but... For me, I have found that if I get too far removed and I'm working on the bi- the business and the big picture, I can lose sight of what we really need, need to be focused on right. working in the business. Mm-hmm. And so the industry can change, the market can change, um, our clients can change. And if you don't have a good pulse, which I feel like I had kind of lost the pulse a little bit of mm-hmm. really what we, where we should be going as a company. Mm-hmm. So I think that for me, what I realized was that, you know, it's it's not um, ideal to just be working on it. Right. For a couple reasons, those that I just mentioned, but also because what I really liked is doing the job. <laughs> like that's what I was right. really, I was, really good at working with clients and candidates and matchmaking and coaching. And that's what I really loved. And so sometimes people get so far removed out of that that they lose that sense of joy because they're not doing what they really love doing. They're working on the reporting and all the operational tasks and getting insurance and working with accountants and Mm -hmm. all that other stuff that Mm -hmm. um, needs to be done, but it's really not the favorite thing to do it's not my yeah, favorite thing yeah. so i it can turn your
0: business into like a a commodity type thing right Right. You, it's you, like it might as well be a bakery or a taco shop or something you're just it's a thing that you're managing it's easy to to become that clueless manager who's totally out of touch with the work being done and the people doing the work
1: right and what our clients are needing That's or what right. our candidates really appreciate appreciate about mm-hmm. our business so um, I found that, you know, I need that balance. I need to have a good pulse on what's going on, but I still need to be able to, um, you know, be in there kind of in the trenches too, because that's what I like.
0: Mm-hmm. So you said this was in the last three to five years. When did the, uh, when did the known cluelessness hit?
1: I would say... There came a point, especially as my company grew, because we have you know 13 recruiters now in the office, and so a lot of my day is spent um, with my account managers, with my recruiters, with my COO, and so I think it came about you know three to five years ago, probably closer to probably three years, where I realized you know the market's really changing, the competition is a lot more fierce than it was before Mm -hmm. the way that clients are doing business is different, especially within technology. I mean, things happen and and grow and change so quickly that you always have to have a little bit of that, you know, like your eye on the ball Mm -hmm. and not feel like, Oh, I can go kind of go on autopilot. I kind of felt like things were on autopilot um, but at some point, you have to make sure that you go and, you know, put your hands back on the wheel right. and make sure that you're going in the right direction.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so you said you had a couple of big rocks. Is that one of the big rocks or did that
1: Yeah, so that both? was one of them. And the other one was, you know, as a smaller company, and really this is probably with a lot of companies, um, a lot of the goal is to grow. You know, people always ask me, well, what are you doing? Are you going to grow into different... Uh, different states are you going to go national that's kind of the the question how much are you guys going to grow this year and that's always um the way that people determine your success Mm -hmm. right and sometimes i think we do that ourselves like okay now what like how how much bigger is my company gonna get how much revenue are we going to increase this year Mm -hmm. it's all about those numbers because they're objective numbers you know um and so one of the things that I had decided where was that we weren't going to grow nationwide because I felt like we've been in this industry for so long and we've been here in Arizona. We know the market. We've got a lot of, you know, our network is big. We know mm-hmm. a lot of people here. So rather than grow across the country, my my goal was, well, what else do our clients need? Because that's kind of a kind of a natural question that we can ask our clients. Mm -hmm. You know, we've helped you in technology. We launched HR Finders, which has been very successful. Um, And that was in 2012. So the next thing in my mind was, okay, well, what else can we offer our clients? What else are they needing? And so at the time it was, um, you know, finance and accounting. So I thought, well, we can just do another division. Mm -hmm. And it all sounds very doable. Mm But when you're a really small company and you have three different brands, you know, having two is, is a lot, but it, when you're adding a whole other brand, it, it's a lot. Right. It's a lot for a small company. And so what I found, even though the concept was good, I found that we were trying to be everything to everyone and diluting the brand mm-hmm. significantly. And it's kind of a, it's a hard scenario when you look at that and go, hmm, now what? Do we just keep going and try to make it? We've invested a lot of money in um, growing our website and doing all of these things. Mm -hmm. But is it making business sense? Right. Right. So I think that what I learned is that, you know, You shouldn't try to be everything to everyone or even everything to your specific client, but just do what you do really well and aim to do it even better. Mm. So we've decided over the past, really just recently, that it's not that we're not gonna do our finance and accounting, but we're not gonna market it. We're gonna let it just simmer and and sit for a moment while we really focus back on our brands, Mm -hmm. our, our tech and our HR because that's where we've seen the most progress and we've got the business and the clients. Um, but it's difficult to be like, hmm, that didn't really work out the way we thought it would be, right. that, or how we thought it would work out. So yeah. rather than um But sp- if it did work out, then
0: you'd be like, oh, well, it was great. And this is like, right. I think it's just important to realize nothing is predictable. Like you can't predict the future. You can try. And you can get good at certain things, but like the, just it could be the wrong time, you know, like right. with your weightlifting story. What if it was a year earlier, you know, and that trainer came to you and you'd be like, mm, right. maybe not. And then this this current situation you're in is wouldn't be a reality. So I think like. You never know, but uh, if you're in the right place and you have the right energy, you know, it's and you and you can tolerate the risk, go for it otherwise like you don't have to sell a million widgets or do 20 million dollars in business to be successful you know it's such a open ended word success so yeah I, what what does it even mean to you actually like it, is it growth at this point or is it allowing your two main brands to be i don't at a certain number or what what does that look like for you
1: i think success to me personally is um Feeling like the effort Is paying off and you're getting the result that you're looking for
0: so it's like a subjective and emotional Kind of thing.
1: Yeah Mm -hmm. now when it comes to business, I mean we have set goals, you know Mm -hmm. for the year and We definitely you know every year we want to do a little bit better than we did Last year, you know, um but I think it's also important to set realistic goals that are stretch goals but very obtainable and mm-hmm. then back you know back out and determine okay, this is what we need to do monthly mm-hmm. you know to really end up at the end of the year with right. a successful year. So I think you know success is hit establishing good goals and then hitting those goals right. you know from a business standpoint.
0: Mm. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. What about in other areas of your life? Like with the competitive bodybuilding or, you know, anything else? Like, is that how you look at it? Is there just something that is satisfying, you know, that doesn't necessarily have a metric?
1: Yeah, I think it's again, just about expectation and what that goal is. Mm -hmm. So when I first started competing, it was, I just didn't want to quit. Yeah. After I did that with my next show, it was like, okay, now I want to be in the top two or the top five. And then in bodybuilding, the goal is to get your pro card. And so my ultimate goal was to get my pro card. Um, and and it, that's just
0: like a, you're it's, a really, it's a license to compete professionally. I
1: mean, it really, it's like nothing. It's like a piece of paper mm-hmm. that says, you know you have earned your pro status mm-hmm. but in in the competition world it, it means a lot that you've been able to progress mm. and you've got that mm-hmm. designation and you have to win your sh- you know win your show right um so for me right now, my goal is just to be able to compete at the pro level and again, kind of not quit. Mm. So I'm kind of back to to that because it's been a long time since I've competed and mm-hmm. it'll have been five years. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's a while. Um, and now I'm at the 50 mark. I just mm. turned 50 in October. So now I'm like, okay, let's try to, you know, never in my wildest dreams would I think that I'd be able to compete at that right you know at this age so i'm like okay so my expectations are different but i think all in all yeah whatever that expectation is to be able to have that goal and and to hit it then Mm -hmm. you know that's that success um and just that feeling of accomplishment Mm -hmm. that you were able to to overcome a lot of challenges to hit something that was important
0: so as someone who has looked at you know we're had access to a half a million resumes, you've placed 3,000 people, probably I would say at least 2,000 of those you feel good about, you know? <laughs> Every single one Every of single them. Every single one, okay. Uh, what What do you see uh, for, let's, let's start with younger people, like what are a couple of nuggets of wisdom, um, whether they're in the book or not, like what are some pieces of wisdom you would offer to younger people in their first, I don't know, three to five years of their career?
1: I would say to really, before you go out and find your, your job that you think you wanna go after, um, to really assess what type of environment is gonna be something that's going to and you might not I mean someone might not know this. I'm thinking of my son, you know, who's graduating mm-hmm. and he might not know. And you're really just looking for opportunity at that at that point. But to just kind of assess, you know, if it's something that as far as the environment and the culture, what type of environment is going to pique your interests, like what your interest is, and the energy that you're looking for in the type of career mm-hmm. that you want. For mm-hmm. example, there's some positions where you have to sit at a desk right. all day long. Um, and then there's other positions where you're you're up and about, and you're meeting lots of people, and you're always on the go. And I think that um, some people will excel in one area, you know, one type of environment, versus another. And mm. so if they know even just that to begin with, they can start to um kind of eliminate different opportunities that might come up. Yeah. You know, when they're when they're first starting out. Um but just, you know, overall just to be a sponge when you're first starting. I think that's the most important thing to mm. just really um be around people that can give them knowledge and try to find good mentors and, Mm -hmm. and leaders that they can just be a sponge and, and learn Mm -hmm. and then look at things and, and then decide, okay, do I like this or do I not? Because I think when you're first starting out, I know from my own experience before I, I found recruiting, it was almost a process of elimination. You just have to try certain things and then decide, okay, do I like this? Does this make me feel good? You know, am I excited to go to work or is it something that's, that's not of interest. And if it's not, it's okay, like you said, to fail and to, to keep moving on, mm-hmm. you know.
0: What about people, what what are like, you know, cognitive dissonance moments that you see for people that are more seasoned, maybe 10, 15, even 20 years into their career? What are people, uh, you know, is there something that comes up regularly where you're like, I can't believe how many people don't realize this about themselves or, you know, from a recruitment standpoint, whatever.
1: Give me a little bit more context,
0: okay, so uh, let's say someone comes in and says, uh, their expectations are just out of line, whether with the market or their experience or something like that. they're They're exhibiting cluelessness. I've mm-hmm. been doing this for ten years. I should be I should be vice president. I should be making two hundred fifty thousand a year, and you see someone who's like, maybe made some steady incremental progress, probably might be good as a senior manager or something Mm -hmm. like what how do you respond to gaps from you know the candidate perspective versus where you think (laughs) I can place this person in a in a good job
1: right well I think it all depends on what they're looking for so I think you know when when we're talking with candidates the first thing is we just want to listen you want to listen to what what they're interested in what what What's gonna make them, you know, in simple, in simplest terms, what's gonna make them happy in their work, right? And then be able to offer suggestions because we might not know exactly, you know, the right scenario for them. Mm-hmm. We like to be consultants and, and coaches, um, but it just depends. So we can give them a bird's eye view of the market. You know, let's say for example, they're looking for a really high salary based on their experience. What we can do is show them, okay, well, here are some opportunities that are available right now with this salary range, you know, and just try to show them by examples because Mm -hmm. it's each, you know, it's each person's individual. Um preference Mm -hmm. it's just we might not be able to help them
0: interesting so you never want to get like a a mallet and bonk someone on the head or
1: (laughs) no no because you never know that right opportunity might come around maybe there's going to be something that's a perfect fit so on the candidate side it's just about really learning about them their experience and then being able to determine if we have an opportunity that's gonna be a good you know a good fit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some candidates we've worked with for years so we've kept in touch. we just don't have anything that would be viable for them and then all of a sudden we'll see an opportunity and it's miraculously it's it's a really great fit for them. Mm-hmm. So I've learned you just never know. interesting mm-hmm.
0: Is there any advice that you would give yourself 10 years ago or so? Like is there any key lesson that you feel like if I had known this, so many years ago it really would have made i would have saved myself so much time
1: in my business sure yeah i would say you know kind of back to what we were talking about just you know never lose sight of your your client and your and your candidate in recruiting and just you know really stay close to you know, kind of stay close to that technician role, like to keep doing the parts that you really love while still having that bigger picture mindset. And Mm. I think that that's really key. That would be like my biggest takeaway right now. Mm.
0: Interesting. Mm -hmm. All right. So um, before we go, can you share, how do people find out more about you and your work and your company and that kind of thing? And uh, feel free to plug your upcoming podcast oh
1: yeah <laughs> of course so as far as you know where we can um, where we can help you you can just go to the dash finders.com and um, we have three different divisions but primarily we have tech and HR so you can definitely find us there and then as far as the podcast I'm launching that within the next month month and a half so four to six weeks and it's called messy in the middle and so we're going to be talking to leaders and entrepreneurs that are going to share some messiness of hmm. of of their success. So, Anthony, I definitely want to have you on. And <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me of to course, come of on to your podcast. You
0: were uh, extremely eloquent. It was uh, really a pleasure to listen to you speak. Thank no, you. Uh, no pauses. No looking for words. You know, just I,
1: some ums
0: maybe <laughs> i didn't notice um, but uh, yeah you're you're great uh, so thank you for uh, coming course. over and making the drive and being a guest
1: of course thank All you right, so cool. much for having me on
0: thanks for listening to this episode of the clueless at the work podcast you can pick up a copy of the book on amazon barnes and noble and at cluelessatthework.com where you'll also find book excerpts podcast transcriptions and more related content Please consider subscribing to the podcast and check out our previous episodes as we walk through the book content together.